Today's podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, and medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburn, rashes, and other types of skin damage. And the best part is that it's safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for use on all skin types and all parts of the body, even with rosacea, eczema, or acne-prone skin. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the littlest member of your family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all your family's skin health needs. I have three kids. We have injuries in our house almost daily, and so it's so nice to have active skin repair to reach for in my cabinet because I know that it's safe, natural, and non-toxic. We use it for things like burns or scrapes or cuts. My youngest daughter recently had a really bad finger injury and we were using it on her and it did not sting or burn her at all. So it was perfect. Today, as a listener of this podcast, you can get a special discount on your order of active skin repair. Visit activeskinrepair.com to learn more and to get 20% off your order, use code no one told us. That's activeskinrepair.com code no one told us for 20% off your order. Welcome to No One Told Us. Today we have Yara, who is a Perth, Australia psychologist who works exclusively with women and moms through conception, pregnancy, and motherhood. And Yara started Life After Birth Psychology, which is a fabulous resource on Instagram. You started that right after the birth of your first child, Mm -hmm. is that? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So nearly eight years ago. Yeah. Eight years ago. And how old is your younger child? She's actually turning five next week. Yeah, at the end of the week. So yeah, it's been a ride. (laughs) Wow. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then you also have a fabulous podcast for anybody out there looking for additional podcasts to listen to. You have a great one. It's called Life After Birth with Yara. And it's a podcast really dedicated to sharing the stories of women as they navigate their life as mothers. Yeah, absolutely. So Yara, how did you get started with this space of wanting to work with women and mothers? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think, I I mean, I've been working as a psychologist for quite some time, but prior to having children, I was working in sort of the government sector here in Western Australia. So that meant I was working in um, inpatient hospitals. I also worked in drug and alcohol um, settings, and I really enjoyed that. I had also done some private practice at that time as well. And then I had my first son and everything changed (laughs) and just and I kind of I went through this yeah absolutely and I went through you know that kind of identity shift that everybody experiences and I would argue that I'm still experiencing that and and my um, sense of self is is still evolving but certainly back then in those early days one of the things that I really started to wonder about was, do I actually want to be a psychologist anymore? Because the thought of going back to what I had done before um, just really did not, it didn't take me, you know, like I was not bought, I, I did not buy into that anymore. And, you know, it's not that, it's not that the, um, the work itself was something I didn't enjoy, but the thought of seeing clients who were kind of really across the spectrum of life it just didn't, it didn't grab me anymore. And so I started to wonder about what am I going to do? And I went through this phase where I was thinking I'll start like an online baby clothes store. (laughs) For some reason I was like, you know, um, 
And then at the same time as all of this, I think one of the biggest struggles that I had early on after having my first son was actually in my relationship. I really struggled with maintaining that. And I had a really solid relationship going into becoming a mother. And I sort of just assumed that that would continue because we were really stable leading up to that. And that really isn't what I found to be the case. And so I started looking around for resources for how to support us, um, not just in terms of couples therapy, but what else existed out there in the world that could have prepared us for what we were not prepared for. And that's sort of where I found the work of um, the Gottmans in terms of they've got a beautiful program called Bringing Baby Home. And I really wanted to study that so that I could become an educator for that because I was like, oh, my God, if people had told me this and if people had told me that, you know, I could have been at least prepared. And so we then got a, an opportunity in Canberra here in Australia where there was training available because up until then it just wasn't available in Australia. So I went over there and did that and it was from doing that um, I think it was maybe three-day training that I sort of just went, oh, this is what I want to do. Like I want to help couples, I want to help mothers. And I think from there on just my experiences in, you know, mothers groups and things like that and, and in the process of building my own kind of community and my own village of sorts, just hearing the stories of other mothers in my community as well really cemented that fact of like, this is actually the work that I want to do. I'm really passionate about this. And at the same time, it's a, um, it's an interesting thing to be working in a space that you're still navigating at the same time. Um, because in one way, it, yeah. yeah, in one way, it really gives you a connection, a, a really deep connection to what people are going through at the same time because you've either just been there, maybe you're struggling with some elements of that yourself, but at the same time it's really wonderful because for me at this point in my life I'm supporting women who are just, you know, a couple of steps behind me or maybe quite a bit behind me if they're first-time mums and it's been a real process of learning that being just a few steps ahead of someone is sometimes all you need to really provide that support that allows them to feel seen and heard and and a sense of relief for them to be able to feel a sense of relief, you know, that someone can just say, it's okay, you know, things are going to get better. I've been there too. You know, that can be all it needs. So, yeah, that's kind of where it started. Amazing. Well, I was planning on asking you about relationship stuff anyway. So since you already mm. brought that up, maybe we can start yeah. there because I think yeah. What you just said is so relatable, and mm. I certainly experienced something very similar. I mean, I've had three postpartum experiences now, and each one has been a little bit different on my relationship in different ways. But there was definitely a couple of periods where we were like, "Oh, we are, we are not okay. <laughs> this mm. is really <laughs> bad," and it's kind of scary when you get to that mm. point. And it's also. Um, I think it's kind of like taboo to talk about. A lot of people don't want to admit that their relationship is really struggling after a baby because they're worried about, you know, what does this say about our relationship mm. or, you know, what are people going to think? Or you're always yeah. trying to like keep up those appearances. So what do you find with clients or in the work that you do with people online or wherever it is, what do you find are, are the biggest points of contention after a baby? Like where are people struggling mm. the most? Yeah. I think that where people struggle the most is that, and this is why the bringing baby home stuff really resonated with me, is that there's there's a real lack of preparation, I think, within couples for what is going to happen and what's going to change. And also, 
a lack of an understanding and it's not as it's not the fault of couples it's just that there aren't that many resources around that actually support them being well informed for what's about to change but even things like talking in advance of your um, baby coming in terms of what are the responsibilities of each person how are you going to manage night time wakings you know who's who's going to be the one that's at home how you know how much time are people taking off work you know if if mothers are wanting to go back to work how is that going to be supported who's going to be around to provide support for mothers when they are home with the baby in those first couple of months when it is a really intense time and when mothers really do need to be held and supported themselves when they need to be mothered right i think there is there's so much preparation that goes into pregnancy and labor and you know birth prep and all of that sort of stuff and I think that the conversation around what will happen next just really doesn't happen and it's really interesting because at the moment there's a big inquiry that's happening in in New South Wales here in Australia into birth trauma and it's like huge right really big and we just had um, the head of the medical body here giving evidence and they were talking about that they have not been possibly as transparent as they needed to be in terms of risk in labor because they worry about frightening women, right? Which is really um, ridiculous, right? But I think that in the same way, when we're looking at talking to people who are moving into parenthood for the first time, there is some fear, I think, that exists around preparing people and letting them know about what's going to happen because there's fear that, well, are they going to be afraid? And I think that it's a really interesting one because I think about it in terms of education across the lifespan, right? Like if, if that's the way that we treat people, like it might scare them if they know this truth, then people would never be able to be prepared in life for anything. So I think it is really important right. to to prepare um, couples who are going into parenthood for the first time and, in fact, subsequent times in a way that is compassionate, that is collaborative as well for them and in a way that you know is measured obviously you know like we want to be talking about the good and the bad but we want to be really giving people resources for where they can go when they are struggling and I think that you know my experience was like I got to this point you know our world had been turned upside down and I was like why did no one tell me and where do I even go to get this support you know and I'm a psychologist right right. so (laughs) you know so to think that to think that I had to go to so much effort to find that support is really hard. And then, of course, there's that element as well that you're talking about, which is that shame that you have that something changed. And I think that also comes back to the ideals that we have going into parenthood, which is that nothing will change, that will be unchanged, that will remain the same, this whole idea of nothing changing. And the reality is is that there are two new people, well, three new people who've been born. There's your baby, there's the mother, and there's your partner, right, the father. And I think that, you know, having a baby changes everybody and it changes, you know, many women that I speak to talk about the changing um, value system that they have. They talk about their shifting identity. All of these things have changed. So, of course, there's some things that we can't prepare for, but having open communication from the get-go is just so important and having a relationship where it feels safe to have open communication and to and to let each other know when things are not going well. Like it's just such an important thing. So I do think that in line with the communication thing, I think having a clear understanding of what we're expecting each other's roles to be is a really important thing, and I think that that's what's lacking a lot of t- a lot of the time in relationships when they come to see me and as a result of that what tends to happen is that women 
by default end up taking on a lot of the load and then there starts mm-hmm. to build sort of overwhelm and there starts to build resentment and things like that. And it's a, it's a difficult one because I think there's so much conditioning for women as well, you know, to actually do that, to do the taking on of things. And I actually heard, oh, I can't remember who it was that I uh, was watching a reel from someone on social media and they were talking about maternity leave. And of course, that's different in different countries. But here in Australia, it's not necessarily that everybody gets maternity leave in terms of their women do, but not necessarily partners. But one of the things she was talking about is how maternity leave focused only around mothers sets us up for this real imbalance in our relationship because women learn how to do the caregiving because mothering is a skill and, you know, fathers maybe are not learning that. And so there's this automatic imbalance that happens right off the get-go when we go into parenting because of maternity leave. So that's challenging. And I think that one of the things that needs to be done there is that there needs to be a lot more focus around supporting men to actually be more present especially in that early parenthood phase. Now, if you know me, you know that I love to cook and I love creating healthy meals for my family. But even more than that, I love things that are easy and convenient. And even though I love to cook dinner for my kids, sometimes for things like lunches or if I'm just going to be working at night and need something easy for myself to grab, I love Factors meals. And especially now in the spring and summertime where we've got more plans, we're busier, we're outside, we're going out and doing things more. Having Factor meals in my fridge is such a game changer because they're healthy, they're zero prep and they're so fresh and delicious factors fresh and never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes right from your microwave so no matter how busy you are you always have time to enjoy nutritious and great tasting meals and when i tell you they are actually delicious i 100 recommend these my mom even recently asked me, are they really good? I heard you talking about them on your podcast, but is it? are you really saying that you like them? And I said, yes, you have to order them. They are actually so, so yummy. So what are you waiting for? There are 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons you can choose from each week. So you always have new flavors to explore. You'll never get bored with the same old meals. They truly taste like restaurant quality, so you don't feel like you're depriving yourself of anything. It actually feels like you're fueling up your body with delicious food that is real and super, super nutrient-dense. So you can enjoy this effortless support to your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage whatever goals you have and simply just eat well-balanced, delicious, easy food. Head to factormeals.com slash no one told us 50 and use code no one told us 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. So this is an amazing deal. That's code no one told us 50 at factormeals.com slash no one told us 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% of your next month while your subscription is active. And feel free to send me a message and ask me for my favorite meals because I love talking about them and I'll be happy to help you choose. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Yeah, I think what you were just saying about how there's this inequity and and maternity and paternity leaves just really reinforce that. And here in the States, we definitely see that because we get literally nothing guaranteed to us for maternity and paternity leaves. And then you have 
you know, partners or dads who maybe even get it offered, but don't take it. So there's just so much dumped on the mom and that can cause so much resentment. And then there's also this, like the biological factor where if you're nursing or pumping, there's some things that are just naturally going to be unequal. And for me, I remember feeling so resentful of my husband, even though he was so hands-on and so willing to help and do everything with me and be a Mm -hmm. team. Mm-hmm. I was still resentful of the fact that like I was the only one that could feed that baby. I was the only one who mm-hmm. could soothe the baby. The baby needed me to fall asleep. And mm-hmm. he, so it just felt like he had so much more freedom. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was a really tough pill to swallow. Yeah, totally. I mean, I feel like resentment is a thing that is an ongoing experience to me. And there's different sort of phases throughout my year of when I feel more resentful and not. And I think that something that that is coming to me as you're speaking about this thing where your husband was really hands-on and you can really recognise that he was but you still felt that way because there was so much need for you from mm-hmm. this baby. And I wonder as well around that, you know, what our expectations are going into motherhood, right? And mm-hmm. I think that I think that the way that I perceived being a mother and having like quote unquote a good baby was mm-hmm. that, you know, my baby would sleep and my baby would play independently and my baby, you know, all this kind of rubbish. And so I think that also one of the really challenging things about becoming a mother is coming up against all of this, this kind of conditioned belief or expectations around what it actually will look like to be a mother as well. And the idea that I also feel like, you know, I talked before about that staying the same thing or like the the bounce back culture. And I think that that exists not just around our bodies as women, but a, across everything like bounce back into career, bounce back into relationship, bounce back into our social group. Like it exists across so many different areas for us. And I think the reality is, is that those things change forever. How yeah. we engage in those spaces, how we move throughout that changes forever. And I think that, that that's one of those things for me that I really held a lot of resentment around. And I had to learn how to let go of some of the, the things that I thought would stay the same that just absolutely were not staying the same. And that's kind of where we hear uh, a lot of people talk about the concept of surrender in mm-hmm. motherhood and, and through that process sort of of matrescence, which is really about where we can and where we are holding so tightly onto that rope because we're trying to maintain control or trying to maintain um, life looking like what it did in our sort of maidenhood, that sometimes when we let go, it's not about not caring or anything like that, but it's about recognizing where that tension just doesn't need to be held anymore. And that if we surrender or release into the newness of what it is, that we can actually experience mothering with more ease, right? And it also, I think I like that because it gives me freedom to create who I am at this particular moment in time. It gives me freedom to explore who I might be. But I do think that at the same time, coming back to the idea of maternity leave or or lack of paternity leave, creating an imbalance, this is where I think communication is so important. And one of the things that in my relationship at the moment, I only just yesterday mentioned it to my husband was, we need to have weekly check-ins again because we haven't Mm. been doing that. And, you know, we used to, we haven't done this for a really long time, but we used to get a babysitter and go to his office at his work and just spend a night with takeout with our computers out and organise like the next four months. That's what we used to do. And when that we is did so that, brilliant. yeah, when we did that, life was like amazing. We, everyone knew when they were getting time for workout. We knew who was doing drop-offs. 
you know, he knew when I had stuff going on in my work or in my life that I needed more support around, I knew for him. And we just haven't done that. And so life has felt really chaotic um, over the last couple of months because it's been like, oh, okay, crap, you, you're doing this on this day. Oh, no, what am I going to do now? Who have I got for care? Like it's just been really chaotic. So I think open communication right. where we can say this is what's coming up or let's reflect on how this last week or last month went you know, and I think, and it's of course making me think about fair play because it's such a big component of that whole concept of fair play, of doing the check-ins, of making yeah. sure people have a, a minimum sort of standard and all that sort of thing. So, you know, and if people out there have not heard of, of fair play, which I'd be amazed if they hadn't, it's such a fantastic resource in terms of, you know, learning some of the basics around how to have better communication um, around roles and things like it's that. It's so good. Yeah, definitely. It's so good. I read it a, f- a couple of years ago when it was newer um, mm. or a few years ago now. And we did the exercise, my husband and I, where you have to like write out everything that's on your mental mm-hmm. load. And mm. I went first and I wrote, I filled pages, just wrote like everything that I think about every single day and that I have to be in charge of. And he took one look at my list and he was like, I don't want to write mine. <laughs> like he just knew. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, He just knew that it was going to look pathetic next to mine. And that was actually kind of a big wake up call. Yeah. So now we do those check ins, like you were mentioning, we have gotten really lax about it this summer, too. We have not done it in weeks. But when we were doing them, we called them like our weekly admin meeting. And they're so, so helpful. And I know a lot of people I posted about it on TikTok one time. Mm. And people were like, Oh, that's really romantic. Or like, Oh, you're like, corporate affying your marriage like that's not very you know sexy or whatever and I'm like you know what (laughs) sometimes you just yeah like (laughs) sometimes you just need someone to be on the same page with you and to Mm. like not want to murder them they need Mm -hmm. to take on some of the load and and that meeting was how we made that happen and so I Mm -hmm. beg to differ but totally you also just mentioned something that I would love for you actually one of the things that a relationship therapist that we were seeing at one point said to me was you need to think about your family and your relationship like a business so who's got what role have you got what role have you got and you know you're both managers like if if there's things that are happening in that need to happen that can be outsourced for example so that you can focus on the most important thing for you and your family then outsource that like i remember her talking about it in that way and that was so helpful for my husband he was just like he understood yeah, oh, the I whole, bet. you know he just totally got it and i really think that if you take up a little bit of time in that relationship working in this way that is really structured, it creates so much more space and freedom for the spontaneity, for the sexy stuff, for the the loving feelings to, toward one another because your brain is not filled with um, thoughts about who's doing this, who's doing that, or I'm feeling annoyed because he hasn't said this. It just, you know, like, and I think that one exactly. of the it things... clears it all out of the way. Totally. And I think we often get in this place as well of believing or feeling like they should just know what to do. And I do totally support that in some ways. Like there's some really obvious stuff in relationships, right, that I think that some partners can do better at. But I also do think that Mm -hmm. it is so important to express our needs and to express our desires in a clear not that it's not emotional, but without all of that heavy emotional stuff, right? So you don't want to be doing that in the middle of a heated situation or when we're upset. And th- this is what those check-ins allow you to do. It lets you to talk about it like it's a business meeting, you know, and everybody gets an opportunity to speak. So, yeah, I think it's great. 
I love it. And yeah, it does help take some of that resentment away because then it's like, okay, you've offloaded your needs, you've checked in, you've divvied up all of the things that you need to do. And so then you kind of have this ability to step back without so much resentment because now Mm. everybody's aware of everything that needs to happen. You've divvied it up in a way that feels fair. I would love for you to talk a little bit more about maybe not resentment per se, but anger, because I know Mm -hmm. that is something that you talk about so much on your Instagram page. And, you know, maybe your partner not stepping up is one reason that you're angry. Mm -hmm. But why are moms so (laughs) angry so much of the time? Is it like, Mm -hmm. because I know I'm not the only one like I Mm -hmm. try to keep my cool, but I get really angry sometimes. And there's all this talk Mm -hmm you know, on social media about postpartum rage. And like, it's definitely seeming like it's becoming more of a thing that people are willing to talk about. And so I would love for you to, to just talk a little bit about that and and share why you think moms today are so angry. Yeah, I think, I think that we are so angry because we have a lot of reason to be angry. And I think that the other thing is that I remember when I first started to learn about, talk about it, even in my sort of, um, in my studies when I was still studying. And it was very much framed as this pathological kind of thing, right? Like that, that it was a symptom Mm. of, um, postpartum depression, which absolutely it can go hand in hand, but it doesn't mean that it's, it's pathological in its own way. Right. And I think that even that is such a disservice to women. It's like you're not allowed to just be angry. It has to mean that something is wrong with you, right? Like, and this feeds back into, you know, those patriarchal ideals around what it means to be a good woman and what it means to be a good mother or a good girl, right? And so Mm -hmm. one of the things that I really love to tell mothers is that you're angry for really good reasons. And when we are angry, it's because there's been some kind of violation, because there's some kind of injustice, because something feels unfair. And when I say that to mothers, they think about their situation. They're like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's really rare that mothers are angry because of content or situations around their parent-child relationships, right? Like it's never about that Mm -hmm. most of the time. It's mostly about all of the other shit that they have to deal with in life, right? It's about the inequity that they experience when they become mothers. That's essentially to me when I think about the anger that, most mothers are coming to talk to me about and and the anger that I have, it's fueled by all of that. It's the inequity. It's the frustration because it feels like you go, you know, two steps forward and one step back in certain areas of your life as a mother because there are now boundaries everywhere and there are barriers everywhere to what you would like to be doing in your life, right? Like it's just so much harder. And so what was I, I was having this conversation with a friend actually just yesterday and he um, is solo with his two kids at the moment. And I was like, you know, where, where's your partner gone? Um, is she, where is she, like, wh- what is she doing? Is she having a holiday or whatever? And he said, oh, no, he, she's working in London. And I was just like, oh, and, and he, he sort of was like, oh, you know, like working, like she's whining and dining, this, this, this. And I was like, I don't know anything about that because (laughs) that's normally my situation. And I could see the look on his face. He was just like, yeah, she's over there like working, you know. And I was like, I know exactly what that feels like, right? And I know exactly what, what it feels like to be going on and on and on that compounding of that feeling. It was interesting to see that experience emotionally for him that is something that often it's mothers that are experiencing, right, where they're going, I don't have access Mm. to those things. And I think that especially around sort of 
patriarchy and, and kind of feminism and things like that. I was thinking about myself as a feminist the other day and I was thinking, when did that happen? And I was like, I think I've always had ideals that aligned with feminism, but I don't think I ever identified myself as a feminist until I became a mother. And the reason for that is because Mm. the barriers to my life became so much louder and so much more prominent when I became a mother, you know, and so I feel like motherhood radicalized me in that way. And my husband mentions that all the time. He's like, you're a lot more anger, you know, like than you ever had before. And like, you know, he talks about like, I don't let him off the hook about things and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, because I don't have space for that anymore. I don't have time for that anymore. Like I'm busy, you know. Um, And so it's just, and I remember even um, one of my supervisors saying that to me at one point too, about like women becoming more, resentful or, or experiencing that maybe to a, to a greater degree and certainly anger to a greater degree because I think for many women it's at this point in our lives that the sort of the full force of the patriarchy becomes so obvious for us. And so yeah. I and I think as well as that the other element that comes with it is also as a woman how many times have you suppressed who you are and how you've shown up in the world throughout your life, right? And so I also think that something that potentially could be fueling the anger that we feel at this time is like maybe it's the first time for many people that they're allowing anger to be present for them, but then there's also all the anger mm-hmm. that they haven't expressed throughout their whole lives that is that is adding sort of fuel to that fire as well. And so I think that there's that. Then there's also, you know, in terms of, well, this could relate back to sort of family of origin stuff as well around, you know, was were you allowed to express anger? So there's so many different levels of it. But I think at the end of the day, the key message that I want mums to know about this is that your anger is valid and your anger is saying something. It's saying, take a look at your needs. Are they being met? Do you even know what your needs are? Take some time to to really think about that and explore that. Have an opportunity where you sit down with your partner or whoever your support people are and say, these are my needs and this is the impact it's having because they're not being met and this is some of the ways that they can be met, even if it's just about carving out some time for yourself at least once a week where you get undivided time to yourself, right? Like I think that the biggest kind of disservice we can do to ourselves is try to suppress that anger and try to pretend like it doesn't exist. The best thing we can do with anger is notice that it's there, sit with it, feel it, notice where it's showing up in our body and then ask the question of why is it here? What is the need that is going unmet? What is the injustice, right? That's what we need to do with our anger. We need to use it. Yeah. And I think the hard thing, at least for me, is when that anger doesn't have anywhere to go, Mm. it often comes out at our kids, right? Mm -hmm. Because they are so good at pushing our buttons and hitting our Mm -hmm. triggers. And then we're like, you know, lashing out at them and feeling so guilty and terrible. And so how do we navigate that? Like, how do we identify our triggers with our kids and and maybe take Mm -hmm. a step back and stop our our anger from unleashing on them when it's it's not fair? Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wannabe Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. 
but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Yeah, totally. And I think the first step there is actually noticing that that is what's going on. And I really notice that. So as soon as, you know, I start to get frustrated or resentful in my relationship, the first thing I notice is I just get really short with my kids. Like I just don't have capacity anymore. Mm. And the reason we don't have that capacity is because our nervous system is at max. It's at capacity itself. And so one of the things that I like to talk to people about is you know, how do we get the nervous system to work with us in times of challenge in our parenting? And so if we're noticing that we are getting more um, sharp with our children or with our partners and things like that, the first thing is checking in with that anger and doing that, you know, what I sort of mentioned before, which is around checking in with what are the needs? Why is this anger here? So really trying to get to the root of that. And the next thing is like creating opportunities to actually allow the nervous system to sort of get back into balance and to sort of unload. So I like to think about, you know, when we've hit that window of tolerance or when we've got too much going on in our nervous system as we've got a backpack on and every day it's loading up with, you know, frustrations with our kids or frustrations at work or in our household or with our partners or whatever. And if we don't have a process and a way to kind of unload that backpack, then it gets to the point where we can't actually put any more in. And that's when it starts, just everything starts coming out and exploding. And so I really love to talk to people about, well, what are you doing on a daily basis, right, that's out of the moment of your anger that can allow you to actually provide some kind of reset or some kind of balance? So for me, I really like breath work. Exercise is a really big thing for me. It's really about people thinking about what allows them to feel that way. What allows you, maybe it's just being able to have a walk by yourself, right? Maybe it's other sort of movement like yoga. Maybe it's having a check-in with a friend once a week or a couple of times a week. Like what is it that allows you to feel good in your nervous system? I really love breath work because I think that the main reason is because changing the way that we breathe has a direct impact on our nervous system. Like we know that. And so if yeah. we get good at doing that out of the moment, it means that we can utilize that skill in the moment. And I do often hear people talk about, you know, breathing doesn't work for me in the moment. And I think the reason why is because people don't have the practice. They don't, and they're too fired up. They're too activated in the moment for that to work because they don't have an existing practice. And so practicing breath work yeah. out of the moment on a regular basis means we're much more likely 
to use it and for it to be effective in the moment. But the other thing is also for people is getting a sense of what are the signs that you're heading toward starting to fire up at your children. That's the other really big thing. So for me, I really recognize it as like a heat in my body. I really feel a a hot feeling. My heart starts to Mm -hmm. race and I feel, I start to feel panicky. I start to feel really panicky and it makes sense because that's my fight or flight, right? That's me going like, I want to get out of here. Like (laughs) I want out of this situation. So I start noticing that. So if we can notice what those signs are, it also means we can do something before the eruption happens and we can be more intentional. Yeah. So for me, it might be when I notice that I put the television on because my kids just like are like zombies to the TV. So they just start watching it that they stop fighting or whatever it is that's going on. And I get an opportunity to take five or 10 outside with a cup of tea to scroll on my phone, whatever it is to just like calm myself down to breathe. Right. And then yep, I can come yep. back to that situation and deal with it better because I've had a pause. So always being able to, to pause basically when we're noticing that some of those signs and symptoms in our body um, are showing up that mean that there might be an eruption coming is really big. Um, and then, of course, what it is that we do in that time. It's, so it might be going outside and grounding yourself in the earth. It might be taking um, some breath. And it, a very simple one is like box breathing. So it's like four breaths in, four breaths holding, four breaths out, and then continue. Mm-hmm. It might be having a cry, right? So that's the other thing. For me, sometimes when I feel really agitated, I can tell that actually it's it's actually grief it's some kind of sadness and i because i feel teary on the edge of all of the rage that's what i notice and so for me that also means noticing that and saying i need time to sit and cry and then i i do that when my kids go to school i put on some music i light a candle and i make time to actually just have a cry and sometimes i make t- wow. time to rage like to just scream and and all of the rest of it because i feel like i just need to get that out so i think tuning into our bodies Um, is a really huge part of being able to regulate ourselves in the moment so we don't blow up, but also so that we're doing the practices on a regular basis that allow us to expand the capacity of our nervous system. Yeah, I think people really underestimate the power of moving emotion through your body and Mm -hmm. how like by just like what you said, like crying or physically raging or like dancing it out or breathing or walking like that can all be so effective and powerful. And I love that you talked about the pause. That's something that I've been really, really trying to do lately. It's so effective when you can practice it Mm -hmm. over time. So like, it's not something that has happened for me overnight, but I've been really practicing it with my, one of my kids who, um, is just in a period right now where there's lots of melting down and things Mm. like that. And I was noticing that I was so incredibly triggered by the crying even if they had good reason to cry, like even if it was something simple, like they they bonked their knee or they stubbed their toe and they started screaming and crying, like I would get an anger response mm-hmm. where I couldn't even listen to it. And then I wasn't able yeah. to even empathize with them for getting hurt. And that made me feel like a shitty mom. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> no, I just started feeling. to notice like, why, mm-hmm. like, why are you responding this way? Like you're feeling angry, but why? Mm-hmm. Like just take a step. And I think that is so so key is to just start to notice those emotions so you can really start to change your responses and i love one of your posts i was just looking it up so that i didn't Mm. misquote you but you say um what is my most generous interpretation can you talk Mm. just a little bit about that yeah i think that yeah i'm so glad you brought that up actually because i'd forgotten about that in the moment but yeah 
I feel that when I use, yeah, when I use that, it takes me out of my own like shitstorm in my own head and in my own body and it grounds (laughs) me back in the present moment. It's like, and and I actually use that with everything. I use that with my husband. I feel I find that I probably use that more with him to be honest. So I use that in so many different places, but it allows me to ground myself in the present moment rather than what the narrative is that's going on in my head which can sometimes be, you know, like, oh, I have to do everything myself or nobody hears me and, you know, I'm unimportant and, you know, I can get stuck in that sort of a space which, of course, spirals me and really fuels the anger that I'm feeling in those moments. So asking that question of what is my most generous interpretation just helps me realign with what's happening right now and it also helps me in terms of, um, well, in my children and my partner, it allows me to connect back to what the need sometimes is beneath whatever that behaviour is. Um, which is so important because if we're just looking at behavior from children, we can have a totally different interpretation compared to if we're saying, well, what might be the need beneath this, right? Like even yesterday, my daughter was, yeah. um, I was trying to do some work and she just kept bringing books to me and she, and I wasn't, you know, responding to her. Like it was very obvious what her need was. But in my head, I was like, what is my most generous interpretation rather than just continuously getting frustrated? And it was like, she really wants just connection time with me. That's what she wants and it's showing up in mm. all of these ways because, you know, I'm not responding in the way that she wants me to. And so it just allowed me to connect back to that rather than getting in that space of like, oh, she's always interrupting me, like she's not giving me time to work, blah, 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 and, you know, can kind of get in this victim space. I can anyway. And so it's really good for me to ground mm-hmm. me back in that place. And the other part that that does for me is that it allows me to connect back to the little part within me the little girl within me, because sometimes I can think about um, what's the most generous interpretation. Sometimes it causes me to think about myself as a child and when I was acting like that, what would that have meant, right? And it allows me to have some self-compassion for myself at the same time as being able to, to, to gather more compassion for the more challenging sorts of behaviours that maybe my kids are, are um, displaying as well. So, yeah, I think that that's so so useful. I actually, um, where I first heard that was from Dr. Becky. Um, and I just was like, oh my God, that's just brilliant. Like I love it and I use it and tell all my clients about it now. I just think it's so, so brilliant. One of the things I also, yeah. And one of the things I also wanted to add there is even when I was talking about using breath or some kind of practice for processing emotions or in the moment and out of the moment and all that sort of stuff. One of the things that I really wanted to to say to anyone who's listening is that you can take your time. You have time because one of the things I think that can happen when we hear people talk about the tools or, you know, the resources or what we should do, what we can do to get through difficult things in our parenting is that we can come away from that thinking, okay, this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to apply that and then everything's going to be fine. And then when we sometimes do that and it doesn't work or it's harder than we think it's going to be, then we can be, we can end up feeling like we're not doing a good enough job. And it can kind of add to that whole problem of like, I'm the problem as a mother because it's not working or because it's not as effective or whatever it may be. And what I want to remind people who are listening is that I'm sort of eight years into my parenting experience and I'm not a master of these things. And I probably won't be a master of these things for a long, long time. 
I think it's important to remember that because I think self-compassion is so important for us as mothers because in a world that doesn't allow mothers to be self-compassionate, we need to, to gather up as much of that as we can. And so reminding yourself that mastery takes time, that you're a beginner and that you'll make mistakes and that uh, mantra of like, you can take your time and you can try again tomorrow. It's just such an important thing when we're learning new skills. And those things are the same things that we offer our children when they are learning, which is every single day. And so it's so important for us to provide that to ourselves. Mothering is a skill. We're learning every day. We get better at it every day. We make mistakes and we learn from that. And that's all part of the process. So I just really wanted to share that too. I love that because I think there is this myth that you're either like a natural born maternal instinct, like you're just good at it or you're not. And it really is a skill that you can hone over time. And that is such a beautiful thing to model to your kids. Thank you so, so much. I know that you talk so much about reparenting and self-compassion and this idea of kind of going back to our own childhood stuff and and all of that. So if anyone listening is looking for more information about that or more from Yara about that, you have a wonderful podcast and online courses and of course your fabulous Instagram page. So Yara, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so, so glad to be here. It was wonderful having this chat with you. If you want to find out a bit more about me, you can find me over on Instagram at Life After Birth Psychology. You can also check out my podcast, Life After Birth with Yara Hiri, or you can also find me on my website, which is lifeafterbirth.com.au. Perfect. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Thank you. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.